0: That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Today on the podcast, I am answering the most common questions I get about playing jazz, the ones that come up time and time again, the ones that everybody wants to know about and I imagine that you want to know about too. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards. We musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, you wouldn't know it, but I actually haven't recorded an episode of the podcast in, let me, let me think about it, like a month, a month and a half. Now, the reason that is, is because uh, in the content creation world, there's a little term we have called batch recording, which basically means that you record a lot of of content ahead of time to get ahead of schedule. And I particularly did a large batch recording session, uh, multiple sessions, uh, because uh, my wife and I, just a week ago... Introduced our new daughter, Magali, into the world. So I am now a father, which is really exciting. And we're having a blast so far, a sleepless blast, I will say. Um, but uh, so that's all exciting news, all great stuff. But it struck me as I hit the record button today that it's actually been quite a while and it feels great. It feels absolutely great to be back on the mic talking to you, helping you become a better uh, jazz musician. So I'm just excited to be here uh, and completely pumped up. Um, Now, on today's episode, like I mentioned, I'm going to be talking about very common questions that I get asked uh, for jazz. Now, particularly what we do inside of our Inner Circle membership is we have um, every single month uh, a live Q&A session. It's called our Monthly Jazz Mastermind. This is just our opportunity for our members to ask any jazz or music-related questions or even things that come up in the courses in our membership or the Jazz Standards Club studies we do. Um, And it's just a great uh, resource and opportunity for our members. But you know, every single month we have a ton of different questions that get a- asked. Uh, a large variety, I would say, of different kinds of questions. However, there are, are of course, every single month, certain questions that do come up time and time again. So, what I did is I actually went through the last year's worth of live Q and A's and kind of took a look to see what questions were coming up over and over and over again and thought it would be really fun on the podcast today for those uh, who are listening, whether you're a member or not, um, to answer those questions because it's likely that you may have this question as well, uh, w- one of these questions as well. So I think we have about 12 questions that I see come up time and time again in our monthly Jazz Masterminds and uh, pretty convinced as well that uh, in uh, you know just in general, those listening to this podcast, Um, you have these questions as well. Now, of course, before we go into the show today, and speaking of our inner circle membership, our sponsor of this show is our very own inner circle membership. This is the membership where you get monthly jazz standard studies in our Jazz Standards Club to learn one new jazz standard every single month, but also access to all of our practice program courses, including our brand new Rhythm Changes Accelerator course, where you can master uh, Rhythm Changes, really get inside of this important uh, song form. Of course, we have stuff for the blues, for minor blues, um, thirty to better jazz playing our flagship practicing course many others like i said our monthly live q a sessions our monthly jazz mastermind we do have instrument specific courses for guitar bass piano trumpet um and saxophone and we also just have an incredible community a very active community of other musicians learning practicing together encouraging each other sharing recordings of their um the improvisations and it's just a lot of fun so come join us over at LJSInnerCircle.com. That's where you can learn more about the membership and sign up. Doesn't matter what instrument you play, other than drums, this is a great uh, membership for anybody. We have all kinds of instruments. So, LJSInnerCircle.com is where you can sign up. All right, let's get on to these most common questions I hear about playing jazz. <laughs> striking me now that I actually haven't even played my guitar in a long time, so this is good. Um, And you know what, also, I never realized, that's weird, how long I've been doing this podcast, and I never realized that that blues is in E-flat... Yeah. Right on. By the way, another cool, fun thing that I'm you know, talking about this before we jump into the questions. I actually uh, am getting a guitar custom built for me um, by an amazing Luthier. He used to live in Queens. Now he lives in San Diego named Victor Baker, who's done all kinds of amazing guitars for um, great jazz musicians like Gilad Hexleman would be one. Um, anyways, I'm so excited about this because my wife has been begging me. You know, usually it's the other way around, but my wife's been begging me to get a new guitar for years, like get a really nice quality guitar. Cause like mine is like, honestly, it's a $600 guitar. I've had it for, you know, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. And I just, I never, I don't know. I'm not a gear person. It's usually the other way around. Usually it's like me begging my wife to get a guitar, but she's been begging me for years. And finally I broke down and uh, I'm excited. It's actually in production right now. Should have it in a couple, two or three months, which is kind of exciting. I've um, been waiting for like six months. Anyways, I digress. Let's go into these questions. So, uh, question number one: How do you know what the melody is to a jazz standard when the melody is played differently on different recordings? Okay, so how do you know what the melody to is to a jazz standard when the melody is played differently on different recordings? Common problem, right? You've probably experienced this before. You are trying to learn, um, you know, this one, for example. right? That's my shining hour. Um, you know, and so John Coltrane might play it one way. Bill Evans might play it a different way, you know, because jazz, there's so much interpretation happening in the melody. That can be kind of challenging when we're trying to learn a tune. So the first tip I would give is if it's like a great American songbook tune, see if you can find the, the original recording first. So for example, my shining hour, right? This one that I'm just playing, uh, it is from the 1943 film, The Sky's the Limit. Okay so a little bit of research goes a long way and just looking that up is going to be really helpful cuz you know there's actually a YouTube video of uh, that set that song being sung in the the uh, the movie. So when you're able to do that, you're actually able to hear what the actual true original melody would be. So that's kind of tip number one. But tip number two is if you can't find the original recording and it's a Great American Songbook tune, is go and try to find uh, a vocalist version. But particularly like Frank Sinatra would be a good example. Like. Someone who sings the melody straight every single time. Uh, Billie Holiday would not be a good example because Billie Holiday does not sing the melodies to jazz standards very straight. But Frank Sinatra would be someone good. Now, if it's not necessarily a great American songbook tune, but more of, uh, I guess what I call a jazz original, so think about like Herbie Hancock or Wayne Shorter or Coltrane, guys like this, then go to the original recording still, because that's where you're going to get the truest version of that melody, right? So um, always go as much as possible to what the original recordings are. Just do a little bit of research, and that's going to go a long way. Um, now, there's nothing wrong too with just learning the melody, like listening to lots of different recordings and distilling down for yourself what you think the the main melody is. And I also don't think there's anything wrong inherently with going to the real book or something like that after you've already done your research, actually listening to the tune, right? And then kind of looking to see what the real book says is the basic melody. And I say that with a abundance of caution because again, the real book is basically basing the melody... It's basically just a transcription of a version of the melody, right? It's not necessarily what the true melody is or not. It's its own transcription of the melody. So keep that in mind. And then also keep in mind, too, that, you know, it's it's usually never a good idea to learn a melody strictly off of notation with it when it comes to jazz. Because, again, um, if you were to read the, you know, Autumn Leaves, right? And you read the melody just out of the real book, it sounds like a robot. It's not going to have any feeling or context to how to play that melody. So, It can be helpful to kind of get a basic vanilla version of what the melody is, and that can be one resource for you, but I wouldn't ever use the real book strictly to learn melodies. Okay, so that's the answer to the question. How do you know what the melody is to a jazz standard when the melody is played differently? So not a straightforward answer because, again, a lot of interpretation in jazz and melodies, but um, that's the way I've done it always in the past. Similar question is, how do you know what the chord changes are to a jazz standard when different versions use different chords? Okay, so how do you know what the chord changes are to a jazz standard when different versions use different chords? So we actually tackle this issue every single month. My team does. Um, particularly me and my team member Brett Pontecorvo, We do um, all of our resources for our Jazz Standards clubs, club studies, in our inner circle membership. This is where we study a new jazz standard every single month. So we actually do a lot of research on the tunes that we're learning. For example, this month we're learning yesterday's by Jerome Kern. We do a lot of research ahead of time, listening to different recordings and trying to figure out like what are the general, what are the real true chord changes. So we're listening to lots of different recordings, um, trying to see if there's a consensus. We, uh, yeah, we'll look at some sheet music too, just to see what's going on there. Um, but you know, really we're listening to lots of different versions and kind of distilling it down to what we think are the most commonly used chords, right? And again, spoiler alert, a lot of times you'll go to the real book and honestly, the cha- the changes are not always right. Especially if you do iReal pro like an app, remember these are just anybody has submitted changes to this app, like that, you can use. It's just, it's just the same as you doing it, right? So it's, is always a good chance that you're not going to be getting the correct changes this way. So listen to lots of different recordings. Um, use trusted sources. Like, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I would say we do a lot of the research for you if you're one of our inner circle members. So if you're learning a jazz standards club study tune, definitely you know use our resources because we really do the research for you. But um, you know, it can be kind of tricky. And what I would recommend um, largely is that you get what you consider to be the basic chord changes, but then just start being aware of other possibilities. Because jazz musicians, no matter what, will add different changes, will have different variations, and you may play with some musicians at a jam session or out somewhere that have maybe a variation on the changes that they like to play. And just being aware of what those are, are good. And you can also have a discussion if you're playing with other musicians, like, hey, what chord changes do you play for the B section here? I play this. Or you can always have that discussion and you may even learn something too. Like you may have been playing a certain chord on the certain bar, but then they're like, oh, actually that's not really what the original recording is, it's this, right? And so you might learn something too. And this is a lot of how jazz is learned. It can be learned in community. So chord changes are a little bit more um, concrete than I would say the melody is, but there is still lots of room for interpretation with chord changes and jazz musicians will add them and change them all the time, add substitutions. So just again, listen to lots of recordings and use trusted resources to try to distill them down to the basic ones, okay? So, that's how do you know what the chord changes are to a jazz standard when different versions use different chords? Okay, next question. How do I know, this is a really common one, how do I know when to move on to the next thing, okay? How do I know when to move on to the next thing? So, oftentimes um, in our monthly jazz masterminds, the context that I hear this question is um, someone who is, for example, maybe they're working on our jazz standards club study and they're not sure if they're They have that they they don't feel like they've mastered that tune enough, so they're not sure if they can move on to the next tune. We say the next month, or someone's working on on a course, um, and they're you know they've been working on uh, I don't know scale patterns, or they're working on a transcription, or something like that, and they're like, well, it's not perfect yet. Um, so can I move on? And you, I'm sure you've had these questions before too, like, Hey, am I good enough at playing this chord melody? Am I good enough playing these left-hand chord voicings? Am I good enough at playing these scales on my saxophone to move on to the next one? Right? So this is the, the general answer that I give to this every single time and it's more based off of a philosophy, so bear with me. But the philosophy is is that perfection is the enemy of progress, okay? Perfection is the enemy of progress. If we get so wrapped up in being perfect at everything we do, we're going to miss out on moving on to the next thing that has a bunch more lessons. So, for example, if you're working on a jazz standard and you really just still don't feel very confident in soloing over the changes, right? Well, chances are, if you really actually put in some serious work on it um, and you've worked on resources like learning a solo or an etude or, um, even just spending time improvising over it, the chances are that you have improved on it, right? And no one's saying that you can't continue to practice that jazz standard. You very much so should. However, you know, moving on to another jazz standard is a great idea because you're never going to perfect playing over top of that jazz standard. You're never going to perfect it, right? So go to the next one because a lot of jazz standards have the same chord progressions in them. They have the same concepts going on in them, and you're only going to continue improving, but you're going to be learning more concepts and ideas, and more melodies, and a lot of other things going on. Or, or let's say you're lear- you're working on a transcription of a solo, and you know, let's say you only got one chorus, and your goal originally was to learn two, like all the choruses of the solo. Well, maybe you just need to work on that one chorus. Like you don't have to always learn an entire solo. It can be helpful just to say, hey, I learned half of a chorus or I learned this whole chorus of the solo and I'm going to take those lessons and milk them for all their, their, their worth. Right? That's. I'd rather you do that than get stuck on never moving ahead and not going on to the next thing. So you always have to use your discretion, but I do feel like That philosophy of perfection is the enemy of progress. If you really make that your mantra, I think you're going to learn a lot more and gain a lot more ground and also stay motivated because we can get really demotivated when we just feel like we're just, you know, hashing away at the same thing over and over and over again. It can be helpful to get variety. So, um, always feel free to move on. If your gut's telling you maybe you want to move on, then perhaps that is a good idea. Now, the the reverse of this is is perhaps like when should I not move on to the next thing? So, for example, let's keep using the jazz standard as an example, and you can apply this to other things. But let's just say you don't know the melody, like you just you you've sort of learned the melody, but you keep kind of messing up the melody whenever you've tried to play it with the recording or with a backing track or whatever by yourself or other musicians. Well, the melody is a core feature of the tune. Like the most important part of the tune is the melody. So if you're, if you're not able to play the melody, then you probably should do some more work on that so that you can play that melody. Or for example, the chord changes. If you don't remember the chord changes, if you, you know, still struggle to recall them, you probably should spend a little more time because I mean, the melody and the chord changes, it's like, that's the bare minimum, right? To be able to say, you know, a new tune. And that you understand the tune well enough to actually have learned something from it. So in that case, yeah, I will continue to work on it. It doesn't mean like if you mess up the melody once, but you've played it right several times that you can't move on because you messed it up once. I'm just saying in general, use your own gut check. Like if you know it, you know that you know it. If you don't know it, then you know that you need to do a little bit more work before moving on. Okay. So how do I know when to move on to the next thing? Hopefully that helps answer that and gives you a little bit of context. Perfection is the enemy of progress is what I always like to say. Okay, next question is is there a step-by-step process for building a solo? Is there a step-by-step process for building a solo? And the general answer to that, the blanket answer to that is no. There is not a step-by-step process for building a solo. And I've heard this asked in a lot of different contexts. I believe one person asked this question um kind of being a little more specific like do I start by playing, you know, sparse and then in the middle I play more licks and then I play more bebop at the end like they were trying to come up with a formula for a great solo and they were on the right track in some senses right like so the common thought is you know you don't need to go out and start playing all the stuff that you know or your uh, a bunch of pre-hashed licks when you first start your solo like that can be a temptation it's a great idea to just remember that you're trying to tell a musical story when you're taking a solo. So uh, oftentimes stories don't start at the climax, right? They start and they build. But that being said, you probably heard lots of recordings where... You know, the soloist that one soloist passes the baton off to the next one and they're just like going right in it. They're playing triplets and 16th notes and eighth notes and they're playing bebop lines and there's a lot of energy. And that's because, you know, every single story needs context. So whatever you want to do with your solo, you can do it, right? So you just want to be thinking, I think, in general about certain things like why are you playing what you're playing? Are you playing it because you're trying to force something? right? Like you're trying to force a lick in there. You're trying to to force, um, you're trying to play impressive or you're trying to impress people like by playing fast or something like that. That's not really serving the music, right? That's more serving your ego, right? So in that case, you're not building a great solo. You want to build a solo that um, has some sort of narrative arc to it. And you have to, it might be helpful for you just to sit down and ask yourself, what does that even mean to you, right? Because that can mean a lot of different things, right? So it's more about it's more about just allowing the musical situation to unfold, and that's kind of the really big struggle of improvisation is how do we how do we do that? like how do we um, allow something organic to come out uh, without premeditating it right That can be very difficult and there's a lot of strategies we have for doing that and getting better at doing that but um, so there's not really a step by step process for building a solo, but you know you could you could use. A framework to help you practice creating great solos. Like, I'm going to play like Miles Davis slow, sparse ideas, you know, for the first chorus. And then the second chorus, I'm going to add this element. And the third chorus, I'm going to add this element. And then maybe you end it after the third chorus. Cause, you know, I think, I think. I think three chorus solos are really great. I mean, you could do more than that. And really your solo should be as long as it is, as it needs to be, to be interesting. And it should be as short as it needs to be, to be interesting. You don't want to, you know, keep going. If you've said all you need to say, you know, you always want to just make sure again, that the the solo has told its story and now it's time to end it. Right. So a lot of strategies involved with creating a great solo. I talk a lot about that on this podcast and also in my inner circle membership, but this is a basic answer to that question. Is there a step-by-step process for building a solo? All right, next question. How do I retain jazz standards I've learned so I don't forget them? How do I retain jazz standards I've learned so I don't forget them? Okay, so many different answers to this question. Let's first start at the very basics, which is The way you learn a jazz standard uh, will highly influence your ability to actually retain it so for example i talk so much about on this show and really everywhere on learning jazz standards about my list process for learning jazz standards i've talked about it so much that i'm just going to graze through it really fast so it's an acronym l-i-s-t and it stands for listen internalize sing and transfer so listening a lot to the jazz standard, many different versions, and then internalize is like listening to one version and really spending a lot of time focusing on that. Then singing it, or humming, or whistling, whatever you want it to do, is you being able to, for example, sing the melody, or sing chord tones, or sing bass notes, or whatever you want to really inter, basically prove that you've internalized that melody or, or that tune. And then transfer is actually when you pick up your instrument and you transfer the stuff that you're hearing and that you've retained onto your instrument. So if you learn a jazz standard that way and learn a jazz standard by ear as you're seeing, you're going to remember it so much better than if you just pulled out a piece of sheet music and got the quick gratification um you know and got it that way. So I guarantee you you're going to you're going to you're going to be way more set up for success if you do it that way. So that's number 1. Um number 2 is that you do absolutely have to review jazz standards. So it's not like you can just learn a jazz standard and then forget it, right? The more you actually play that jazz standard later on, um, we call this, I guess, you know, in language learning, they call it spaced repetition, right? Trying to memorize anything really, spaced repetition. Uh, it's going to help you remember it, right? To recall it over and over and over again. The tunes that I remember the best are the ones that I've played live on gigs a lot. I know not everybody has those opportunities the way I've had them as a professional jazz musician, but the ones that I played at gigs a lot and just played over and over and over and over again, I know those so well. Even if I haven't played them in a long time, I can come back to them pretty quickly because I've I've just played them so much. And I've played them in context, right? not just by myself in my room. I've played them out, right? which is a a deeper level of knowing a tune when you're able to play a song out. Okay, so those are some ideas for you. Um, Another little hint too is like, hey, if you're learning jazz standards that you really aren't a fan of, then you're probably not going to remember them as well. If you're learning a jazz standard that you truly like and you've listened to it before and you're like, ooh, I want to learn that tune, you're probably going to remember it a lot better than one that you're just kind of forcing yourself to learn because someone told you to. And I say that with a little bit of caution because, you know, obviously you're not necessarily going to be in love with every jazz standard you learn. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn them though, because there's a lot of lessons you can learn from learning Fee Fi Fo Fum by Wayne Shorter, right? Even if it's not your favorite song, you could learn a lot from learning that tune. So, you know, I'm not saying don't learn them if you don't like them. I, I do think you should have a balance there, but you are going to remember tunes that you like a lot better than ones that you aren't really a fan of, right? Or you, that, that don't resonate with you as much. So those are some tips. a so review, um, the way you learn it in the first place, playing it out with other people, and then learning ones that you like. Those will help you memorize them. I also do think on the theoretical side, understanding Roman numeral analysis, like for example, we were talking about my shining hour, right? So the chords are, you know, one, six, two, five, one, right? So... And then one, and then it goes to the two five one of the relative minor six two five one, and then the five uh, the um, dominant two, and then and then it goes to the bridge. It goes a two five one of four. So me understanding Roman numeral analysis uh, is really helpful, in my opinion. is really helpful I think for you know remembering tunes on that level not necessarily thinking about every single chord as e flat b flat c whatever but thinking them more on numerical levels as they pertain to different key centers I think is more helpful for remembering them remembering them as well okay all right similar question is how do I retain the solos in licks that i learn okay how do i retain the solos and licks that i learn? so you may have gone through a lot of effort in the past um learning an etude right or learning a jazz solo by ear from one of your favorite musicians i just heard one of our inner circle members learn uh a, 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 was, is learning a west montgomery solo on yesterday's because we're studying yesterday's right now um great idea right how do you retain that and the licks that you learn? So the base, there's always the basic answers, right? Which are similar to the way I just gave you with the jazz standard. So first of all, learning them by ear is going to, you're going to remember them a lot better than if you are reading them off of a page. It's just a fact. You're going to repeat it more. You're going to think more critically about it. You're going to be exercising more than just um, the, the, the written language, right? So, that's going to help you a lot. The list method, you can apply to learning solos and licks as well. There's always the taking things into different keys or even all 12 keys, right? Um, I actually once took the first chorus of John Coltrane's solo on my Shining Hour into all 12 keys. Um, That was pretty ambitious. You don't have to do something like that. But licks is a little bit easier to do that because they're shorter phrases. Helps you to give more context to playing that lick, more repetition, more muscle memory. Because, you know, really, when it comes to memorizing any of this stuff, it's kind of this combination between... Hearing something and then actual muscle memory, right? It's never just strictly, I can hear it and now I can play it. It's also muscle memory, like how your fingers flow on your piano, your sax, your trumpet, your guitar, um, your melodica, whatever you play, right? Your harmonica, how, it, how it feels to play the music is hugely important, right? And the way you conceptualize your instrument, that's, that's hugely important. Um, and you want that combination of hearing it and, feeling it, right? Those are the two things that, to me, the magic um, formula for retaining musical language at all. However, um, here's something really important, and a a lot of people don't talk about this, but I talk about this a lot. I talked about that um, chorus of My Shining Hour by John Coltrane I learned. I took it through all 12 keys. Like You would think I would still be able to actually play that on my instrument today. I cannot play it. I cannot play it. I, I did that well, I don't know how many years ago now, seven years ago, six years ago. I, I lose track of, of time, but I, I haven't played that solo in so long. I mean, if I, if I turn on the recording right now, I'd probably be able to sing the whole thing because it's, it's, it's back in there. Right. But I don't remember it. And so the point really of learning solos and licks, by the way, isn't necessarily to retain it for the long term, because when we learn licks and solos, we're actually not trying to, um, Play them verbatim, like like it would be pretty lame, honestly, if I went up to my gig and played my John Coltrane solo on my Shining Hour, right? That's not really the spirit of jazz. Is playing other people's solos, and yeah, playing licks is fine too. But really, like you hear jazz musicians like quoting Charlie Parker all the time, but they're usually not like straight up playing a Charlie Parker lick. It's just they're playing the essence of a Charlie Parker lick. So you learn the language so that. You have ideas and you have the essence of these ideas that you can translate into making your own. So don't worry if you're forgetting them. Really, the goal is just to learn, to get more ideas, to figure out how those ideas feel and how they could fit. Or, and you know, so sometimes you'll learn an entire solo, for example, and there's so much wealth of information in there, but there's only like one line or phrase that really sticks and resonates with you that you are able to turn into something of your own. And that's totally okay, don't feel bad about that, right? Don't feel bad about that, you're learning a lot, you don't have to retain everything. Um, it's, it's sort of like when you, I don't know, it's hard for us to remember when we're learning our own uh, native language, right? but you weren't remembering everything your parents were saying to you or what your teachers were saying to you. Like you weren't memorizing all that stuff or books you were reading. You're not memorizing the books you're reading, but you're learning new vocabulary because you're seeing a new word come up over and over and over and over again. And that's how, it's the same with music, right? So don't worry about remembering everything, worry about learning new things, right? Okay, next question. Um, Should I write down a solo that I am learning? Okay. So, in other words, should I transcribe a solo? Should I notate a solo? I get this one a lot. Um, Should you? Um, You don't have to, is that what I would say? I I would say that that's not really the point of learning a a jazz solo, in my personal opinion. Um, I always, I've probably only actually transcribed a few solos. And I think every single time I've done it, it was like an assignment in college. It wasn't actually something that I did on my own for myself. I've always just learned solos by ear and memorized them as I went and kept playing them along with the recording. Because to me, that's really, again, the benefit of learning a solo, of learning language, um, is to get that muscle memory, get that retention going. Transcribing is kind of just like a different animal altogether. Like you're gonna practice your notating. Um, if you're good at reading music, which not everybody is, but if you're good at reading music and you're able to see things well on a th- and you're good at music theory, then you can look at a piece of notation and go like, oh, that's what, um, I was the same as a jazz musician's example. That's what Sonny Stitt did, right? Um, that's, that's what um, Wynton Kelly did. Um, I always use Wynton Kelly as well as an example. So, you know, you're able to see perhaps what they're doing. Oh, this is how the altered notes that they're playing over top of the dominant seventh chord. So there is totally a ton of benefit in doing that. Um, But again, some people also like ask this question in in the context of like, well, I'm going to forget the solo unless I write it down and notate it. Well, that's totally fine. And you can totally do that. Nothing wrong with it. Again, lots of benefits to transcribing. However, again, the idea is not that you necessarily need to memorize the solo and remember it forever. But if it helps you to write it down and if it helps you to have that as a reference, if you just want to like go, oh, hey, what was that solo I did the other day um, or the other month or whatever, let me look at this again, then that's great. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is definitely not something I would say you should do it or you have to do it. It's more just like if you want to do it, um, it doesn't hurt basically. Okay, so that's should I write down a solo I'm transcribing. Next question, how do I transition from chord tone, guide tone, and approach tone maps to improvising solos? How do I transition from chord tone, guide tone, and approach tone maps to improvising solos? So if you're not one of my Inner Circle members, um, one thing that we do a ton of in the Inner Circle, especially in our Jazz Standards Club studies, we have what are called chord tone maps and guide tone maps and approach tone maps. And so chord tone maps is pretty simple, right? It's like right? I mean, not even quite like that. We actually tie them together with voice leading, but it's basically just like, can I spell out all the chord tones and connect them together over top of an entire jazz standard? And the the idea of that is if the the basics of improvising should be chord tones. Like chord tones, if you're able to improvise around chord tones, you're going to sound way more professional, right? Than if you were just taking a more scale approach, um, you're going to hear the chord changes come out, get really good at identifying chord tones, muscle memory, and hearing them, right? Hearing them as well, because that's really the secret, one of the, the secret sauces, in my opinion, to improvising. And then guide tones is like the thirds and sevenths, so. Right, so that's a thirds and sevenths of each chord, and we want to think about the thirds and sevenths and be able to find them on our instrument and hear them, because those are great notes to resolve your lines to so if you resolved so for example here's my little pet lick i always play okay so we landed the last note there is the third of the b flat major seven that's basically like a an f7 um so like a five to a one right and I'm landing on the third. The third is a guide tone. It's 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 a characteristic note of a chord that helps you tell the difference between one chord and the next. So identifying those guide tones is helpful for that. And then there's approach tone maps. Approach tones are, um, for example, if we have the third, we could think of different ways to resolve to it. So an approach tone would be... So that's two approach tones. So I'm actually doing what's called an enclosure. Above in pitch, below in pitch... And then arriving at that third, right? So, so you could do that, um, and do do an approach tone map over top of an entire jazz standard. We do those in our inner circle membership, um, and they're really helpful. So these are exercises, though. Like they're not necessarily musical. Approach tone maps are actually kind of musical. They're they're kind of like the the bridge between. Um, they're like the step before improvising or like playing a solo rather. Um, so approach tone maps are great. Guide tone maps are great. chord tone maps are great. But oftentimes people wonder, well, if I'm learning these sorts of things, how do I get it to actually come out in my solos? Well, again, when we're actually working on these exercises, we're trying to get that muscle memory going and we're trying to get our ears to connect to these sounds when you're improvising, it's it's weird, but you don't want to be thinking about it so much. It's more like you want your muscle memory and all that stuff to kick in. So that's this weird gap that everybody has that they're, they, they really have a hard time connecting the two. But here's what I would do to practice making that connection. And that would be composing your own jazz solo. So composing... Again, simply slowing the improvisation process down. So what I'm doing in this particular case is I'm thinking about the chord tones, guide tones, and the approach tones that I'm learning or even parts of solos that I've learned, right? Language I've learned. But I'm actually gonna compose, and I don't mean notating again. I mean, you could just do this as you go along and memorize it. You're trying to dream up the solo that you would wanna play. So if you wanna incorporate chord tones and guide tones into your solos, simply slow the improvisation process down and compose your solo so that you're incorporating those things. That way you're starting to make that connection in your brain about how to actually get these things to start coming out. And the stuff that you compose is much more likely to come out in your solos than stuff that you've just learned verbatim from somebody else, right? So my biggest tip there is to start composing your own solos and incorporating these concepts that you're learning into them right? And then improvisation, that's something we you, you can practice later. I mean, in fact, we just came out um, a few weeks ago with a podcast episode about how to practice improvising. So I'd have you go check out that one after you're done listening to this one. Talk about actually practicing the improvisation process. So that's a good one to listen to after this. Okay. Next question. What advice do you have to make solos more melodic or to improve the logical build of the solo as opposed to unconnected phrases and licks? And again, um, when we're talking about trying to practice making solos more melodic, um, I would say that, again, the best thing you could do is actually practice composing your solos. So plan out your solos. That way you're able to identify like, well, hey, how do I create a great melody over top of these chord changes? How do I incorporate the things that I'm learning? The composing process gives you the opportunity to figure all of that out, right? So that's what I would do. Because like, we don't want to just play a bunch of un- unconnected phrases and licks, right? That's called copy and pasting licks, which I already mentioned in a previous question is not the point, right? The point is we want to gather information, data inspiration from those musical sounds and incorporate them ourselves. So composing is the step there before improvising to help you do that. Now, another thing you can do, by the way, is just practice the getting in the headspace of improvising great melodies. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, let's just say here we are in concert C major, right? And I'm starting with a key center, but I'm not going to necessarily play anything Specific. I'm just going to play whatever I'm hearing. stuff right it doesn't matter what i'm playing and it doesn't matter if i'm playing simple stuff or difficult stuff i'm just trying to create melodic lines right here's my first note there's my second note there's my next notes right that's a melody right right i'm just trying to let my ear lead But whatever, really simple ideas, just use one tonality and practice creating melodies very simply like that. Even before going to complex chord changes, really improvisation is also a mindset, right? It's a mindset of letting your, basically liberating your, your, your mind, like let it, let it go, like, let it go. Don't, don't feel like, oh, I need to play the chord tones. I need to play the guy tones. Like, yes, you want to be doing that, but you want to be doing that naturally. So, um, Practicing just creating melodies, and uh, you know, even if you're playing, oh, oops, I hit the quote-unquote wrong note. All right, watch this. Well, that's that's a fine note. Let's try this one. Okay. Well, how do I how do they make that melodic? Wrong note made it right. Right. So you can always practice doing that. And that's a really helpful exercise as well. Okay. Next question. How do I prevent myself from getting lost while soloing? Okay. How do I prevent myself from getting lost while soloing? Very common problem. You're not alone if you experience this easy to get lost. You're soloing, you're in the zone. Um, you know, the conflicting advice of not to think too much, you might lose track of the form. So this is where knowing the melody really well is super helpful. If you know that melody so well, you can be thinking about the melody while you're soloing, right? Right, so I wanna be thinking about this. I was thinking about the melody. You might heard me quote it a few times in there. That's my shining hour again. So knowing the melody really well is helpful. Now, there's a lot to be said, though, about just really having a good sense of time and practicing that. So listen to jazz a lot. Like, listen to solos and being marking off. Like, where's the top of the chorus? Am I at the top of the chorus? Um, what chord are we on right now? Like, being a little bit more... Um, intentional when you're listening to music. Like, are you getting lost while listening to other people's solos? Because we want to start there, right? Um, being so familiar with the tune and the way the chords sound is really helpful. And spoiler alert, you are going to get lost. Uh, I've gotten lost many, many times at a gig uh, while I was soloing or not while I was soloing. But you know what I do have in my arsenal is I do have these ears that can recognize chord changes. Oh, we're... Okay, oops, okay, we're at the bridge now of My Shining Hour. Right? So I can hear all that coming to me. I can hear that we're at the bridge right now. I can hear that we're going to the... You know, the one, one, six, two five right there, right? So I can hear those sounds. And if you're able to hear those sounds, that's gonna be very helpful for you. So lots of listening, lots of practicing. Um even just, you know, try looping sections. You know, if you have a backing track um or a tool like Band in the box, practice looping sections. That could be really helpful um as well. Instead of trying to bite off the entire uh the entire song form at once. Get really familiar with the A section and then really familiar with the B section. And, and then you're, you're, you're gonna feel more comfortable, I think, than just trying to dive off and chew on the whole thing, okay? Okay, uh, two more questions left. Uh, what scales and chords are considered must-know for jazz? What scales and chords are considered must-know for jazz? So let's start with chords. For chords, you need to know your five qualities of seventh chords. So that's major seventh, um, dominant seventh, minor seventh half diminished seventh and then fully diminished seventh okay if you know those you're in good hands i'd also um go a little step further than that but and say also understand what the chords are in the diatonic series so in other words if i were to harmonize a major scale like a c major scale what chord is the first scale tones so if you harmonize a major scale with seventh chords it's a major seventh the two chord is a minor three chord is a minor four chord is a major five chord is dominant six chord is minor seventh chord is half diminished and then we're back at the one chord, right? So knowing that, that's your that's your set, uh, five qualities of seventh chords. And then after that, like those are the must know, but then of course you could do extensions and alterations and all that. But the basics really are just understanding those five qualities. And then as far as scales go, I wouldn't say that really any of them are must-must-know, but I would say that they will help you have an advantage. So scales are great for technique, first of all, but also, again, as it pertains to this diatonic series I just played, it's helpful to know what the quote-unquote modes are. So the first mode of the major scale is, we call it Ionian, but it's just just the major scale right but then over top of that d minor seven i'm in the key of c major we can play the d dorian no oh, that sounds scary the name of that sounds scary but really all we're doing is we're just starting and ending the c major scale on the second tone which is d right and the same if we're doing it on e minor that's the three chord right we're starting on uh, whoops starting on e Right? That's called the Phrygian mode. So they have names to them, but really it's just understanding that we can play the major scale starting on any scale tone and that will best represent each one of these chords. Right. So for example, people always ask the question, well, what do I play over top of um a, a half diminished chord a minor 7 flat 5 chord well if you understand that you are playing the locrian mode which is just playing the major scale starting on the 7th tone or the last tone of the scale so in other words again this is a b minor 7 flat 5 and we're in the key of c major so all i'm doing is i'm playing a c major scale but i'm starting I'm starting on the B, on the B natural because of the B, right? That's the lead tone going into C. So, so in other words, over top of this half diminished chord, right? I can play, I can play C major is basically all I'm doing. So understanding the modes, I would say is helpful. It's not must know, but it is helpful. Okay. Last question. How do we use the knowledge we learn in etudes and transcriptions in our own solos? Now, I've kind of already answered this um, in other questions, but I'll reiterate this a little bit um, again because this one does come up quite often. How do we use the knowledge we learn in etudes and transcriptions in our own solos? Like for example, in the inner circle in our in our jazz standards club, we always learn an etude that's been composed um, specifically for that tune to help you learn jazz language, right? To help you learn some new stuff. So again, what I would say to do is after you've learned an etude or a solo, compose your own solo, but apply those lessons and that musical information you learned in your own solo. Huge, huge help, right? Because again, it may not feel natural for you to play some of this stuff in your improvisations yet, but taking it into your own context or taking control of it for yourself by composing your own solo is super super helpful. Like obviously again learn learn the etudes by ear. Learn the transcriptions by like do all that stuff as much as you can the right way or I, I call it the right way. I, I would say it's 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 the best way for our purposes as jazz improvisers, right? So do it that way in the first place and you'll retain it more, but then and it'll feel more natural. But then you know just trying to take it and make it your own by composing is really going to help start bridging that gap between knowledge and actual execution, all right? So these are the top questions that I get all the time in our live Q&A sessions in the Inner Circle, as well as I just know that these are questions that many of you have. I hope you found this helpful, and I hope that you have some answers going forward. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Do appreciate you. Hope you found today's episode helpful. Uh, hey, by the way, like I mentioned throughout this episode, our LJS Inner Circle membership is ready for you whenever you'd like to come join us. It's really a great way to fast track your improvement as a jazz musician, as a jazz improviser. We'd love to have you. So come join us at ljsinnercircle.com so you can sign up for the membership and also learn more about it. Would love, love, love to have you join us. We're going to be coming out with another episode of the podcast coming up. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll look forward to having you back. Cheers.